This is Film Prejudice with your hosts, Jason and Seth. I think they kind of prejudice, prejudice, prejudice. Are you prejudice? Welcome back to Film Prejudice, your go-to podcast for harshly judgmental commentary on unreleased cinema. I'm your host, Zach. I'm Everybody's Jason. favorite co-host, Jason, is to my right. <laughs> and uh, to my left, we have Mr. Joe Stone, a guest again, the only repeat guest in the history of the podcast. I'm you honored. just said it's episode two. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to come back for three? Old two. Film Prejudice, we did like eight episodes, right? Yeah, don't. Don't talk about old film prejudice. Um, anyway, I'm ready to now uh, move us into a segment that I would like to call Guess Jason's Malady. Last time that we were on, <laughs> Jason thought that he was having a stroke, um, but maybe it was just anxiety. So today, Joe and I are going to guess what's ailing Jason. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with mild headache, Joe. A mild headache? Oh. Yeah, I would go more maybe like phantom appendage or something. Wow. Okay. I don't. Uh, I don't have a headache at all. Oh, but good. My right shoulder is killing me. <laughs> uh, well, I think that you're closer with the appendage then, Joe. Yeah. So. At least I got an appendage. I woke up there. today and I couldn't move my right arm for quite a while without like a <laughs> terrible pain. Uh, I dismissed the idea of it being a stroke, though. Well, I hope that the problem with your arm didn't prevent you from coming up with some questions to ask our guest to get us rolling in this episode. Wow, you really want to move through this quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. How you doing, Joe? I'm I'm doing well. Nothing to complain about. That's question one. Out of the way. Nailed it. Nothing to complain about? I feel like there's always something you could complain about. We, I think 2017 was the year of something that I could always complain about, and now 2018 is starting off to be like, try not to complain about everything because it feels shitty. You might be on the wrong podcast then, because pretty much the gist of what we do is complain. <laughs> Except for movies. Fuck movies. There you go. All right. Yeah. Um, before we start throwing shade at some movies we haven't seen. Um, the uh, Throwing shade? Is that what you're going with? You know, I... <laughs> Yeah. So the movie that we had to go out and see is The Post, which was starring Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. And I would just like to know what you guys, uh, if you had to choose one of them to have never existed, do you get rid of Tom Hanks or Meryl Streep? Wow. I mean, based on the performance in this movie, I would get rid of Hanks, even though his historical uh, achievements such as Big weigh heavily in a positive manner on my heart. <laughs> big? Yeah, I really like Big. Um, before you think too much about it, I want to remind you both of She-Devil and Turner and Hooch. Okay. And with Streep, we lose, we lose Out of Africa, we lose Death Becomes Her. Then with Tom Hanks, you lose The Burbs. You lose him oh, in The Burbs. Oh, uh, yeah. You lose the, okay, old, man. the old Tom Hanks I comedy might, I era. I might keep Hanks just because of The Burbs. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think I'd have to agree with you. And The Money Pit, like the old... Tom Hanks comedy, you know, where he just he goes into fits of rage and it's it's great. But yeah, sorry, Meryl. Bye. Is everybody getting rid of Meryl? 
I think we, if we're going purely on the movies that I feel most fondly about, I, I don't really know if I know any Meryl Streep movies. Yeah, I'd even say that she's probably the better actor. Yeah, but Tom Hanks has just done more fun movies that I have right. fond memories well, of. I'm getting rid of uh, Tom Hanks because oh. this is no, I'm not, never mind. I'm going to get rid of Meryl Streep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think Meryl would like provides probably more value to the human race just by her being somewhat of an angel. Ah, this is I. This is really like way tougher than I thought it would be because I kind of now I'm getting rid of Tom Hanks forever. All right, no, take that back. (laughs) Oh my god, you can't waffle on this. (laughs) What about base? Tom Hanks is already dead. Good job. Yeah, you killed him. You can't take it back. Anyway, uh, moving on. Um. So while we were watching the post, I was thinking about the, uh, I was listening to the film score and thinking how it was like, I mean, John Williams did it and I feel like he kind of, did you think he kind of phoned it in? Yeah. Th- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was surprised when I saw that. I didn't know going in that he did it and I saw the credit pop up at the end and I was kind of like, oh, I didn't, didn't notice. There was nothing outstanding about the score. There were actually times where it was kind of annoying me. Yeah. Yeah. Like. I I knew it was John Williams before like I went into the movie, but like the times I'm like, man, this is really like too much right now. Like I Yeah, I can see that. Um but do you guys have like a favorite film score or like composers <clears throat> that Do you wanna take this one first or okay. mine's weird. Yours is mine's weird. Mine's weird. I, I have a it's not that weird. It's weird that I have a tie between these two. I couldn't decide between Lawrence of Arabia and Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Um both great for different reasons i love in lawrence of arabia there's a very long segment where the screen is just black and it's just done by timpani you just have these roaring drum rolls and really just builds up a bunch of tension before the movie even starts and then from there it's it's just a fantastic soundtrack um peewee's big adventure on the other hand it's just fun and i probably have had those peewee songs stuck in my head more than any other movie ever you just walk so around with the peewee <laughs> sometimes yeah, sometimes head. i wake up and <laughs> it's just there <laughs> uh i don't uh, i don't know i guess i don't know if i have a favorite composer or favorite film score um i've i've always liked bernard herman and all the hitchcock stuff he's done just because it's pretty epic and somewhat elegant and innovative um it's not just like traditional ignorable music it really sets the scene but uh, recently well i don't think the movie's recently birdman have you guys seen birdman yeah yeah almost the entire score is this solo jazz drumming kind of thing yeah. and i just love i like oh, drums yeah. i play drums so um that guy antonio sanchez i think is the drummer's name i have no idea what else he's done but i've watched numerous videos of how to play drums like antonio sanchez now uh yeah i agree that the birdman soundtrack or score was really interesting and worked very well with the movie um i also was gonna say like uh bernard herman like i think vertigo and psycho are two that stand out it's hard for me to choose between them but i didn't like ennio morricone didn't even like didn't even think of him initially yeah but there's so many i guess that are better than (laughs) john williams did on this particular movie i don't want to talk shit too much about john williams actually because i think that he has done so many fantastic scores. Um, True. But other than the soundtrack, though, what did you think about the post? Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about what 
expectations we had going in and uh, our our ratings from the last episode. Uh, Jason, I believe you gave it a I went four from a and six, then a five and a half. Uh, I and went then from a, a six to a four to a four and a half, settled on a five because right. you gave me a lot of shit about my six right, well, because six I said is, that I expected it to be very boring. I look, It looked really boring to me. Yeah, and five is boring. So you you came around to the right answer. Good for you. Your only expectation was that the movie was going to be boring? It looked really boring to me, yes. Okay. Um, I gave it a four because I thought it was going to be boring as well. But I also thought that it was going to have uh, some of those terrible Spielbergian schmaltz moments that we all know and hate so well. Uh, Joe, I think you gave it a four. Did I give it a four? You gave it a four. I I thought it would be well-crafted. I think, but it looked, the trailer made it look like a baby boomer propaganda piece to me. Just looked like it was designed to make baby boomers feel good about themselves. And it did. (laughs) It it absolutely did. It did. We were the youngest people in the theater. Pretty much. And uh, And we're not really that young. It wasn't a standing ovation, but it did get a hearty round of applause from the, uh, the baby boomer audience. Yeah. And there were several like audible still... reactions to certain scenes in the movie. I I did find myself uh, way less bored than I expected to be. Yeah, me too. So the um, pacing was was actually pretty pretty good. Yeah, I was surprised at that. Um, there were a couple toward the beginning, actually, a couple scenes that were just long spans of dialogue, but it was okay. And then just as I was starting to think, oh, this is gonna start dragging if they keep doing this it didn't keep doing that so yeah it did all right for itself in that regard i thought that the movie went by rather quickly i didn't feel like i was sitting what in the third fucking row is that where we ended up (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i just thought one i mean the movie did confirm it was just this like self-congratulatory baby boomer i don't it it just seemed dumb the story seemed (laughs) dumb i i thought they tried i didn't i didn't see a purpose for Tom Hanks, as far as being like kind of like a co-protagonist or whatever, I thought it should have just right. either been all Meryl Streep and everything about her. Uh, I don't know. It seemed like very non-committal to like one story. And I honestly feel like the whistleblower character um, was would have probably been a more interesting story to watch. No offense to feminism or yeah, whatever they were trying to accomplish. I definitely felt like they could have shown us a little more of what went on there. The whistleblower who actually stole the documents and leaked them. Yeah, yeah I think like, there was a lot more, like, a lot of the m- more interesting stuff kind of happened off screen. Right. You know? Yeah. He was the one that would, I feel like, would have went to prison for treason or whatever. All right. That said, uh, did your number change? Oh, yeah. I, 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 I went to a seven. I went down, I went the opposite direction. I went to a three. I, I thought it was so heavy-handed. <laughs> It was wow. kind of heavy-handed <clears throat> at times, and it certainly is one of those like ideology over aesthetics kind of films that I'm usually not super into. But I think a lot of the things that you're probably going to talk shit about Spielberg for, yeah, um, kind of appeal to me. I don't know. I thought oh. he, I thought he, uh, the pacing. I thought the pacing was really good. So you're saying the script was well written? <laughs> <laughs> it's not really Spielberg. That's not entirely true. Yeah, I know. But, editing. Eh. Uh, and and okay, the one thing I think they did well, <laughs> as far as me talking trash about the entire movie, um, I, it was a period piece based in the seventies. The cars were awesome. The clothing was great. 
um, all the sets with the rotary phones. And I thought they did that stuff really, really well. But I just felt like the story itself and the it just felt really rushed. Well, it's a period piece with themes that are still very relevant today. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> they they didn't club us over the head with that at all. Oh yeah, didn't notice film. that at all. Um, yeah, I I came up from a four to a five, even though it it has its flaws. Now they no. they did keep most of the heavy handedness to the third act toward the very end of the film in three very specific instances were, that we that we can talk about. Um, but yeah, like you said, it didn't drag as much as I thought it would, so I wasn't necessarily bored. I well, still like, didn't really like, uh, care about I mean, the story that much. Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks both do their thing; they do it really well. Um, I thought that Bob Odenkirk was actually like really great in his role. Yeah, once I got over him being Bob Odenkirk, yeah, okay, it was yeah. Fine. When when David and putting Cross... David Cross in at the beginning <laughs> did not help with that at no, all. No, no. It's like it was no. like the longest, strangest Mister Show sketch I've ever seen. Yeah, uh, let's talk a little specifically because this movie is focused on Meryl Streep's character, Kay Graham. Uh, I want to get a sense of what you guys felt about Meryl Streep's performance. I don't know, I. I had problems a little bit with with the character. I found for most of the movie she's like she's just timid and and waffling. It didn't seem like there was any kind of change going on and then all of a sudden in one scene she says however and then boom it's like a switch flips and she starts acting in a completely different way and just a couple times I thought that there was a little bit of overacting, like when when she goes into into the room with uh, with the other character Ben, whatever, who's played by Hanks, and she does that weird back bend into the door as she says, "Like I don't like rhetorical questions." <laughs> it just seemed really unnatural to me. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there what, were times where she think? seemed like she was still in Florence Foster Jenkins mode. I'm the only one who saw this, right? Yeah. Uh, Both are looking at me like you yeah, have no idea what I'm yeah, talking about. The way she just sort of like carries herself. Almost like uh like comedic. I don't know if like uh there's like a, a certain style of comedy. Like vaudevillian. Maybe. Like theater. I feel like a like a thirties, forties style of like comedy that it, it sort of reminds me of. I get what you're saying about the moment where it seems like there's just like a There's that the and switch is a bit rushed, maybe. Like you said, it comes across a bit heavy-handed at times, like when she's leaving the... Oh, the... yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about that moment? <laughs> Can we agree that that's the worst moment in the entire movie? Yes. Okay. Yes, when she's leaving the uh, Supreme Court um, and walking down the stairs, and there's a line of young women just... Just admiring yeah. her so hard. <laughs> One of them actually like puts her fist in the air. It was bad. I was I was yeah. gonna argue that that scene in the printing press with Tom Hanks looking like in like soft focus was would be tied, but you're right. I think his hands. Yeah, I steps. forgot about that when they it's started using the soft focus. That drove yeah, me nuts. It, look, it, watching it didn't have any continuity between the the other scene. I think Meryl Streep was sort of a back and forth um, between the two, and like hers didn't look like that at all. But then for whatever reason, his was in this weird hero pose. Um. Spielbergian elements. We already talked about some of the heavy handedness, which is known to be a, a Spielberg thing. But uh, there were some other 
other things that I that I noticed. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about the heavy handedness because <laughs> it's fun. Uh, right. We already brought up that one moment, um, but toward the end of the movie, there were three that really kind of uh, irritated me. The one moment was I don't know what's going on. Streep was going into a building, and there was uh, a young woman who was like a page or something she's talking to oh yeah she's and, working for um the white house yeah right? yeah yeah even though you know meryl streep when she hears white house she assumes that this young woman will be her enemy in a way but then she says my brother he's still out there in the in the vietnam war and it was just you know it was a, a plea for sympathy <laughs> i didn't <laughs> like it um then there were the women standing outside the Supreme Court in that ridiculous moment. And but then, the ultimate one <laughs> is is Nixon the in the end, right? Oh, oh no, oh, no! I had another one that's even that I thought was worse. worse. Yeah, and that was after the Supreme Court decision comes in. The one woman who works in the newsroom like stands on a chair with the telephone and and like reads to them as she is given Justice Black's opinion. <sighs> to the newsroom and it's just this like overly patriotic first amendment oh, kind yeah. of oh my god i felt like we all looked at each other during that scene i remember yeah, that now that, it, that was so bad that was the worst yeah maybe that was i don't know it's either the women on the stairs I feel or like that they, one. Uh, but what were you talking about which scene i was talking about the final scene in the movie with nixon on the phone banning white uh, all Washington Post employees journalists from White House events. Yeah, which was made really horrible because it, at some point in the movie, I don't know if it was around then. I don't know if it was during that actual scene, but there's the line, at least something like this will never happen again. And that's that's the one that made me want to walk out of the theater. But of course, by then it was far too late. <laughs> it would have been funny if you would have walked out there. <laughs> yeah. like Five minutes left minutes, in the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've had enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think my favorite part in the movie was right after the Supreme Court victory and Meryl Streep comes outside and has that moment where she walks down the stairs. And right, that was, I think it was, it's whenever uh, Kay Graham finally starts standing up to all the men, you know, and starts you know, making decisions for herself, whatever. Right, and then we have Carrie Coon on the phone about to announce the Supreme Court verdict, and out of nowhere, this old white man oh, comes yeah. in and steals her thunder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kind of that undermined a thing or two. <laughs> um, um, How do you think that? Uh, <clears throat> like we mentioned earlier, we were probably the youngest or some of the youngest in the theater. Right. Do you think that this movie? can get or do younger people care about a movie like this no they do not define younger like um 20 year old yeah you know i don't think i'm not gonna say teens but like 20 somethings maybe college age kids you mean millennials you said it <laughs> okay <laughs> and no they do not care let me go through a a few quick little minutiae from the movie and uh just uh well you'll see why is Creedence Clearwater Revival always, always, always the as song? As soon as fucking like, anything from Vietnam pops up, boom, CCR. <laughs> Every I time. I thought that immediately. I was like, 
the if only... I would have had anything to write on, I would have made a note, but I completely forgot about it until you brought it up just now. It's never been Green River before, though, that I've seen. <sighs> so just, it's what, always just digging deeper in CTR's <laughs> catalog? Yeah, That's yeah. all? Yeah. I just uh, the also, the little girl selling lemonade, 50 cents a glass in 1971. That's $3.10 in 2017 <laughs> yeah. currency. Biggest mistake they made. I know, and there wasn't even vodka in it. She made that very clear. <laughs> yeah, she did. Overall, I thought it was, it was it was better than I expected it to be. Uh, that doesn't mean it's a seven, man. Yeah, you're right. It's a six. <laughs> I thought it was legitimately worse than what it should have been for the talent that they had involved. It was immediate suspension of disbelief. I was yeah. still really happy when it ended. I agree with you that that it went faster than what I th- like when it ended. I th- I thought there was still more movie left, and so I was really thankful that it was over. Well, speaking of more movie, we have more movies to think about and pre-review. To throw shade at? Yes. So we'll be back at you in just a moment. And now more show. Don't you have something special lined up to kill everybody inside this hellhole? Tell me you're both armed. What about the five eagles? You know something. During an exclusive tour, a power breakdown inside a secret prison known as the Death House sends two agents fighting through a labyrinth of horrors while being pursued by a ruthless army of roaming inmates. As they fight to escape, the agents push towards the lowest depths of the facility where they learn a supernatural group of evil beings are... Are you done yet? I know. This is, this is so long. We get the gist. Okay. Wait, we just <laughs> got to the supernatural part. It sounded good right up until Zombie prisoners or whatever. I don't know. That's too... Right long. up until? Yeah, I don't like supernatural <clears throat> stuff. You don't like supernatural stuff? Well, it kind of depends on how it's done. I like good ghosts. How stories. do you feel about poltergeist? Awesome. Yeah. Better than the post, right? <laughs> Much that's better a, than the that's post. Spielberg. Uh yeah, so it's a it's a horror film in a prison. People people fighting their way out of the prison. They're fighting the prisoners that are Who cares? Did you see the cast? This it, is like That's what made me not like this. What? Yeah. yeah. You got Barbara Crampton, D. Wallace, Adrian Barbo, Michael Berryman, Sid Haig, Tony Todd, Bill Mosley. Is it a comedy? Yeah. <laughs> No, it's it's someone's pet project. They just wanted to put a bunch of like C well, actors in the same movie because they like horror movies. It's an homage, and it's probably not going to be good. It looked like it looked direct to TV kind of. Yeah. Quality, um, the now, now I this director I have no idea. Like I've never heard of him. I haven't he hasn't made much? Yeah, I think I looked it up and. It, um, but yeah. it's written by Gunnar Hansen. Fucking Leatherface, man. Oh, so it must be good. I mean, it looks ridiculous, <laughs> but I'm into it. <laughs> like the tagline of this movie is "Hell is not a word; it's a sentence." It is <laughs> if you just write "hell" and then period. <laughs> <laughs> it's only an hour and thirty-five minutes of sitting through this homage to sea horror actors, so could be worse. But not uh, much worse, which is why I gave it a two out of ten. Wow, you gotta be shitting me! Like I don't think I'm gonna like it, not at all. 
I gave it a fucking eight. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of got that like it's expendable it's just thing camp. going. They're you just, know, they're, they're just... only in this movie for camp value. That's it. You don't think they're good eight. actors. You, you find them amusing because you've seen them eight. before. Nine. <laughs> okay. I'll start counting up. <laughs> the more I argue against Jason, the higher his score goes. All right, Joe. I'd give it a four. What the As fuck are you talking about? Two. Yeah. It looks pretty bad. I mean, it lo- it looks like somebody with a penchant for loving haunted houses turned a set into a haunted house and recorded a movie there. Yeah, it's just an hour and thirty five minutes of jump scares in hallways, probably. Yeah. <laughs> D Wallace. Sorry, <laughs> I think we're about to get Jason to say ten. I don't know. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Uh, uh, all right, we know where we stand. I stand firmly on the side of Death House. I mean, it's going to be fucking awful, but I'm going to love it. Check it out. 75, Winnebago, India. I named it the Leisure Seeker. We've had a lot of wonderful trips in this old rust bucket. I'm finally taking John to see Hemingway's house in Key West. Kids, we won't be gone long. You know that Dad can't drive in his condition. Where are we? We're not home. No, hon. This is Pennsylvania. What the dickens are we doing in Pennsylvania? A runaway couple go on an unforgettable journey in the faithful old RV they call The Leisure Seeker. So in preparation for this, I actually read the novel The Leisure Seeker (laughs) just because I'm dedicated. Such an asshole. Right? (laughs) Um, Is completely not what I got out of the novel. Uh, In the novel, it is a dying elderly woman who is uh, just continually torturing her dying elderly husband by forcing him to live in the past rather than enjoy the present and it ends in a murder suicide well you're just gonna fucking i'm just gonna yeah i don't care wow that is (laughs) not what the trailer looks like um in the book they are traveling to uh california and it, it ends kind of in disneyland and in the movie Santa they're traveling Monica. to Key West. Yeah, they're traveling to Florida. Yeah, that makes to no Hemingway's sense. house, which is very different. I mean, they're they're like heading to this big commercial destination in one, and then like kind of this art destination in another. But but really, it's just you know, on the way, it's all about Americana and just everything that baby boomers love, like. I don't know. When I w- roadside crap and and being yeah. racist. Baby and- boomers love roadside crap and being racist. That's the <laughs> <laughs> uh, first. <laughs> um, the first thing I thought of while watching the trailer was uh, that Jack Nicholson movie about Schmidt, mm. which is like the same movie, right? Without the murder suicide, and he's like an old dude who decides to go on a road trip across country in his RV, and it's about like the. Yeah, experiences he has, but that's every road trip. Yeah, I mean, yeah, true. Like, was you say you could say the same thing about the Straight Story, which I'm sure is a much better movie. I guarantee it's a better movie. Yeah. Well, you can't really guarantee it if you haven't seen the Leisure Seeker. Yes, I can. Um, (laughs) Leisure Seeker has four writers. Took that many, huh? Yeah. One of them was like, "What if we go to Key West with it?" Yeah. The Leisure Seeker is also nearly two hours long. It is. Uh, which and rated R for some sexual material, which makes me a little. I read the hesitant. entire novel in about three hours. <laughs> like, <laughs> this movie should not be that long. Uh, I mean, it's it's starring Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland. Yeah, who's been eighty for decades now. Yeah, right. 
Um, I don't know. I, I like them. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think that the Leisure Seeker, I thought it looked like this saccharine, overly sentimental. Yeah, that's that's kind of how it's going to be presented. There's going to be a lot of not really funny comedy. Yeah, these little these little jokes that pop up in the trailer. I'm like, that's exactly how the book is. There's like one joke that's sort of funny in the book. Is it the one about if you can get a burger in heaven? No, it's just, the guy is always talking about burgers. He just the whole time all he eats is hamburgers because he doesn't remember other food. He doesn't remember <laughs> other food. I mean, like you know, it's it's the one thing that he comes back to. He has Alzheimer's. I would agree with Jason. The movie looks really like heartwarming and really sad, heartwarming and heart wrenching. But then you're saying the book gets all like almost like memento. This You're... was my interpretation of the book. And I, I just... <laughs> they probably don't even die in the end. <laughs> Something like yeah. He just reads into it as this. Uh, you were talking about torture. Um, yeah, you can see this in the trailer where every night when they stop in the RV park, the woman breaks out the slide projector and is like, hey, do you remember when we were at this place? Do you remember like our kids and the guys just over and over again, like, no, leave me alone. I don't know who these people are and I don't want to talk about this. And she just repeatedly will not let up. And I'm just like, give the guy a break. Oh, like, it makes it so much more I don't know, sad. It just sounds like. Is that why she's wearing oh. the wig? Well, she's dying of cancer. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> just got really quiet. Heartwarming. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, I gave it a four. I gave it a six. I, I think it'll, it looks good. Yeah, I gave it a three. Wow, I'm ten because I read the book. Probably, I feel like the movie looks better than the book just because, you know, I like Helen Mirren and Donald Sutherland. But it seems like a it's set up anyway to be like a relatively I don't know if it's a unique human story, but just the story of <laughs> this sounds wrong for this show, but but it's a story of flawed humans. Listen to me. We have to get out of the house before mom and dad come home. Dad? Your right foot in. You take your right foot out. You do the hook. You hold the end. You. A teenage girl and her little brother must survive a wild 24 hours during which a mass hysteria of unknown origins causes parents to turn violently on their own kids. This is mom and mom dad. And dad. This looks fun. Yeah. It's probably, I mean, it, it is the one out of the five movies we're talking about that I'm looking forward to the most. Normally, I wouldn't care about it so much. It's just kind of like a reversal of Village of the Damned, except more action but Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I think that it is going to be the right combination of Nicolas Cage and Brian Taylor and this plot that's going to create this fucking insane movie. Yeah. Um, the hokey pokey bit alone makes me want to see this. When Nicolas Cage is allowed to just fucking go all out, he's fantastic. Who's the director? Uh, Brian Taylor, who did Crank. This fills a need. There just aren't that many movies about parents killing their children right um the one other one that i know of and am fond of is the uh it's called parents uh it stars randy quaid 
It was like made probably in the late 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Um, I think he sees his parents having sex and he thinks that they're biting each other. And then in his brain, that becomes them being cannibals. And then through the rest of the movie, you're not sure if they really are cannibals or not. It's pretty great in a, in a different way than mom and dad is going to be great. But I would yeah. I would recommend watching it. I forgot it. about that movie, Parents. Joe, what did you think about mom and dad? I think it looks amazing. It looks really funny and scary at the same time. Like scarier than Shaun of the Dead. But um, well, funnier than Dawn of the Dead. My my one concern is the the runtime, yeah. which is a little over two hours. Yeah, and I feel like maybe like it'll be difficult to keep up that pace. But it looks like it's just this like just frenetic. Yeah, yeah. That it might get a little overwhelming. Um, True. But I've got pretty high hopes, guys. <laughs> I gave it a fucking nine. Yeah. If nothing else, they succeeded in making a great trailer, which we know is hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Aaron Thanks. Sorkin taught me anything, yeah. that making trailers is hard. Uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be good. I gave it a seven out of ten because I am a little worried by the runtime that prevented me from going higher. I gave it a nine only because I gave I was gonna give it an eight, but I gave Death House an eight. So I feel like I'm gonna like Mom and Dad more than Death House, so I have to bump it up a little bit. Wow, they made a really good trailer if you think it's a near flawless movie. All right, I'll just leave it. Uh, Joe? I gave it an eight. I think it'll be fun. I don't really have a I like zombie type movies and this is or whatever. It doesn't even have to be a zombie. Just epidemic that wipes people out in a very short amount of time. And what is more fun? Than killing kids. Especially your own. Especially. Right, own. Jason? You're the only one here with kids. That's why I'm asking you. Yeah. And I, I still have them. So. How, often, how often do you fantasize about murdering your children? Never. Oh, well, that's because there hasn't been a comet or whatever that makes you want to do that. Is it a comet? I don't know. It's something. Yeah, it says unknown origins. It's probably a comet. It's always a comet. Like, day of the comet. And Well, that's the only one I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, if I were writing it, I would. Just make it a comet because that's the easiest way. What would you do? You'd use food or no something. No comet. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> hey, pay attention. This is yours. Most important thing, keep your finger off the trigger at all times, unless you need to shoot somebody. When that happens. 3170, we're being held up. Hold it until you run dry. Your eyes open. Every cop in the country is going to be looking for us. Den of Thieves, a gritty crime saga which follows the lives of an elite unit of the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and the state's most successful bank robbery crew as the outlaws plan a seemingly impossible heist on the Federal Reserve Bank. Man, it's like I already saw it just from that description. I don't even need to see it now. I'm just going to run down a couple things that make me not want to see this. Uh, Gerard Butler. There's one. Two hour, 20 minute runtime. Two hours and 20 minutes. Yeah. There's one. Um, it was written by Christian Gudegast, who is one of the unbelievable four writers of London Has Fallen. Which yeah, but is he was probably terrible. the good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the one good writer on London Has Fallen. Right. Did you watch London Has Fallen? No. It was about five to 10 minutes of setup and then just shooting for the rest of the two hours or whatever and bad cgi like really bad cgi like dumb things like a helicopter crash that only the president and his right hand man survive uh over and over and over yeah den of thieves 
doesn't look very good. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I gave it a one. You can talk about it. I have nothing else to say about it. All I, right. I gave Man. it a Joe two. Didn't, Joe didn't really say anything yet, right? Well, I feel like I've already seen it. It's like a gritty cop movie yeah. versus elite bank robbers. You're going to be really clever. It's going to be a lot of shooting. What number did you give it? Well, I gave it a four, but I think maybe that was too generous. I think it is going to be worse than Death House. I'm going to give it a one. What did no. I give them to these? Yeah. Two. Okay. Well, I'm just I'm just really hateful today. I guess I'm like one below everybody. I, don't know. I think it's it's probably going to be a good movie <clears throat> for like nine to fourteen year old boys who have never seen a gritty crime movie. I feel as if I've been looking for you for a very long time. You look beautiful. Very beautiful. I have things I want to do. Things I simply cannot do without you. Reynolds has made my dreams come true. And I have given him what he desires most in return. (laughs) Every piece of me. Phantom Thread. Set in 1950s London, Reynolds Woodcock is a renowned dressmaker whose fastidious life is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman, Alma, who becomes his muse and lover. Something about this trailer stresses me out. Stresses you out? Yeah, like it, it makes me really anxious. Not necessarily in a bad way, but it definitely like makes me feel a little stressed. Yeah. I mean, did you get the same feeling from... I haven't seen Inherent Vice... Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's last movie, but I saw The Master. I also did have you... not seen Inherent Vice. Did you see I The Master? I haven't seen The Master. Wow. I don't know what happened to me in the past like few years, but I missed both of those. There Will Be Blood stresses me out. Huh. Um, uh, I like Paul Thomas Anderson quite a bit. You haven't even watched his last two movies, so that's a lie. Joe, how do you feel about this movie? It looks, I mean, I like Daniel Day-Lewis. Have you seen all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films? <laughs> I would have no idea. Have you seen all of Daniel Day-Lewis's films? I have no idea. Well, you probably don't really like them then. That's true. <laughs> I give this movie a zero. <laughs> no, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis is top notch. I've Everything that I have seen him in, I, I've always thought he did a great job. Really pulls you into the movie and the character. You forget that it's an actor. I mean, you forget it's Daniel Day-Lewis. Speaking of which, this is reported to be Daniel Day-Lewis's last film. Now, he's he has said that before. I think he quit making movies after The Last of the Mohicans. And then he became a cobbler in Europe for a long time. And then finally came back and did some more film work. So I don't know. Maybe he'll go find some other trade. In eight years or so, he'll come waddling back. I don't know. I don't know why I described him as Waddle. <laughs> no, Daniel Day Lewis waddles. He's gonna come back. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is known for his waddle. Um, it looks really, you know, really well made. Um, it's hard to say. I think I would enjoy it if I saw it. It's no, uh, it's no mom and dad like, you know, fun, crazy, action oriented movie. But it does seem like it would. I like the idea of the artist and the the crazy artist. Yeah. Really I'm looking forward to seeing it. I am too. I have I, I kind of uh, pretty high hopes for it. Can you tell me how forward-looking to seeing it you are? On uh, a numerical probably, if we don't have way? to actually see it in a theater based on you know the random role or whatever, I'll probably get around to seeing it in the next decade. But uh, give me a number. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. 
Nine. You just a nine? Nine. You just came up with that. Eight. Ugh. I'm tired of influencing Seven. your numbers. Where? No, I'm giving it an eight. I gave it a nine, actually. You're right. I'm sticking with my nine. Uh-oh. Good job. I actually didn't write down a number for this one, so I'm gonna have to come up with it on the spot. Let me. Uh, mm. This must be very embarrassing for you. <laughs> oh man, it's rough. Uh, eight. I don't believe you. Giving it an eight. Why? Why? Yeah. Why are you giving it an eight? It, it looks good. Beautiful cinematography. Um, I appreciate Paul Thomas Anderson at least fifty percent more than Jason. It's not over yet. All right. So now that we've gone over those upcoming movies, let's uh, roll the old film prejudice die and see which one we have to go watch. I really hope it's not Den of Thieves. Yeah. Well, you and me both. Here goes. Mom, Mom and Dad. Dad. Yes. Yeah. All right. Oh, I'm happy. Yeah. I'm so much happier than having to go see the post. Right? This is going to be great. I hope so. So, yeah, we're going to be uh, going to see Mom and Dad, and then we'll tell you all about it, whether or not you go see it yourself. Tune in next time. We'll have a new guest. I'm sure the guest couldn't possibly be as charming as our current guest. Oh, that was a fun I'd... part of the show where... We rate our guest. Oh, yeah. Great. yeah. Uh, going into this, I thought that he'd be like a seven. Yeah, I was thinking, I was thinking like eight, but I thought he'd be way more hands-on with the soundboard. Oh, you're a little he, disappointed. Well, I mean, it, he it is. He didn't wear headphones at all. Work. I mean, he hasn't had to touch anything. So, yeah, I'll, I'll come down to a seven, I guess. You're coming down to a seven? <laughs> come down uh, to a seven. I thought <laughs> I, I was going to be a four. And I, after the first episode, I really felt like, you know, I, did, I was an eight or a nine yeah. on the first episode. Yeah. And you didn't know this, but if a guest brings us food, automatic 10. Oh, wow. I didn't know um, but I'm bumping you up to a nine. What? I, I think he did a fine job. And now I feel bad. You should. You went up to a nine just to make me look like a jerk. I will always go one above you. Uh, okay. I'll go up to an eight then. I think you guys are being too kind. You're an eight, Joe. Episode one, I think I did great. This episode, I don't, I felt like, yeah. They're the same to me. And because Jason is insisting we do this once again, uh, I think maybe it's going to become a regular thing. Uh, He wants to... I didn't insist on anything. (laughs) He wants to read the list of films that we will be pre-reviewing on the next episode. Jason, take it away. In addition to Mom and Dad, we'll be talking about Maze Runner, The Death Cure, Please Stand By, Winchester, A Fantastic Woman, and Braven. It's a pretty rough couple of weeks for movies. Yeah, it's kind of a shame. But if you have any thoughts, any feedback, uh, if you just need someone to talk to, uh, you can get a hold of us at filmprejudice at gmail.com. I think we have a Facebook thing, right? Uh, you can also you can tweet us at Film Prejudice. Film Prejudice, yeah. Or if you're old school, you can call Zach at 812. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not. Um, You know what? I'll say if anybody out there leaves feedback between this episode and the next one in time, uh, Film Prejudice will get you a weekend pass to the Pride Film Fest here in Bloomington, Indiana. 
on the weekend of the uh, the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, and twenty seventh. Is that I think. any kind of feedback? Anything? Any, any feedback? The first person who posts. Any, do they get to go with you? No. Can I go with them? Yes. <laughs> you have to go with me. in the 60s? No. No, no. Okay. Court is adjourned. <laughs>